Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the role that Congress plays in our democracy, not just whether we think Congress is effective now or has been in the past, but what the Constitution calls on Congress to do and whether the current members of that body are fulfilling that obligation. How are they working inside the system that has been designed to make them an equal branch of our government in Washington. We're going to talk with Nina Totenberg, or I'm sorry, uh, with Koki Roberts, who is a journalist, author, and political commentator on NPR's Morning Edition. Her latest book is Capital Dames, the Civil War and the Women of Washington. We'll also talk with Richard Primus, who's a constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. You're going to want to stay tuned to those conversations. They'll be really great, and they will start at about half past the hour. But first today, it is Opposite Monday here on Detroit Today, a time when we try to invite somebody onto the show who sees the world a little differently than I do. And in this role this week, uh, again, is Matt Resch. He's the president and owner of Resch Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing. Matt, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. It's always always great to talk with you. Yes, uh, great to have you. So let's start with the road funding debate in Lansing. I'm really curious uh, how you received the news that uh, that Governor Gretchen Whitmer would like to fix our roads by putting a pretty in a pretty aggressive increase on this the the tax we levy against gasoline. Uh, is this the right way to do that in your uh, in your estimation? Well, I guess I would say I was I was both surprised and not surprised in, in the same the same way. I think when you go back to the campaign, I was surprised in that she was so adamant in saying she was not going to raise uh, gas taxes. And you know, there's now that infamous clip from the debate in Grand Rapids where Bill Schuette questioned her and and said she was looking at twenty cents, and she said that was ridiculous. So, from that sense, I, I was a bit surprised that she was so. Uh, ready to to change tune once she got into the into office, but on the flip side of all that, I think that the realities of the situation. I, I give her some credit for, at the very least, being bold in what she's putting forward. I think forty five cents is probably more than she's going to get, and I think that she is really testing, really testing kind of the old adage that when you are coming into the governor's office and you've got some political capital, um, do the unpopular things early. Um, it's, it'll be curious to see after she gets done traveling the state and doing all of this roadshow uh, business that she's doing trying to sell this. If, if one, her popularity remains, and two, if she if she moves the numbers at all on this gas tax proposal, because the one thing that the Republicans in the legislature have going for them is that it's not a popular proposal, and they can stand back and know that most of the folks back home don't want their gas taxes to go at forty five cents. Yeah, uh, w- one of the things that strikes me about this is that it does even though what you're saying there is true about it being unpopular, it does put a complete solution on the table. And so if you don't like it, as many Republicans have said they don't, you kind of ha- have the, uh, the the burden then of coming up with something that will do the same things. And it, it kind of moves the conversation ahead in that way, I think. And so, uh, for instance, we haven't seen a lot of proposals come out that, that kind of promise things that they can't pay for because you've got something on the table that will raise that full $2 billion. No, I think you're right. And I think it certainly is on the legislature to come up with something. I think that they, 
I don't think that voters will be very um, patient with um, just the, the no answer. And I think the governor is right to, to play on that, and she does all the, she does quite a bit. You know, okay, you don't like this. What's your alternative? Um, and I think that Senator Shirky and Speaker Chatfield will so, certainly be looking at something. And, and um, you know, they, they go back and, and hang their hat a, a bit on what was done at the end of the Snyder administration and, and the funds that went into roads there as, as part of what their plan is already doing. But I think you're right, and, and she is right. I think we all, we all need to see competing plans and, and let uh, the merits of each kind of rise or fall on their own. So, so what do you make of this new power division in Lansing. For a long time in the state, we've had one party that had control of both houses of the legislature as well as the governor's mansion. Now we've got split power. I have said before that I think there are some opportunities here to get a little more done than we did before, which might be counterintuitive. But um, uh, but I think Governor Whitmer's experience in the legislature, the relationship she has with some of the leadership in both the Senate and the, uh, and the House and the urgency with which some of the issues that sort of are hangovers from the past administration need to be addressed. I don't know. I, I, I've been a little more optimistic about the way people can work together in, in Lansing these last couple of months. I wonder what your impression of that has been. You know, I, I feel the same. I think maybe a little less so than I did at the beginning, but I definitely, you know, after the such an acrimonious November and October and September, uh, both on a national level and, and somewhat on a state level, I, I was feeling, you know, that this was going to be a, a very nasty 2019. And I think that I think all three leaders did a really good job of understanding that that, that was not what people wanted to hear. Um, whether or not they, they're, they're not going to jettison their, their ideology uh, down the road, but they all, all three played nicely. I think they're all still feeling each other out a little bit. But one benefit that they have, and I think you mentioned it, is that people know Governor Whitmer uh, here in the legislature. She's, she's a creature of the legislature. She's been here for a very long time and has relationships that, for example, you know, Jennifer Granholm or Rick Snyder didn't have when they came into this office. So not only were they figuring out the job, they were also figuring out the people and the relationships and the, 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 uh, the characteristics that each people and each leader brought to the table. And I think that because Governor Whitmer has, you know, has worked side by side with a lot of these folks, they're going to be able to, and I think that the people are looking to them to, to put some things aside and get some things done. You know, Senator Shirky has, has I think, a, a, a reputation and a track record of, of thinking on big issues and tackling big issues and working to find real solutions. And I think that that kind of leadership, I think, will help uh, push some of these things through. Because I think you're right. We all we, we don't know how we want to pay for the roads, but we all know that they stink and we need to do something about them. My guest is Matt Resch. He's the president and owner of Resch Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing. He's here for Opposite Monday when we invite somebody onto the program who sees the world a little differently than I do, maybe comes at it from the other end of the political spectrum. Uh, we are talking about a number of things. One, road funding here in the state of Michigan, the debate in Lansing about how to fix our roads. Uh, Governor Whitmer says 45 more cents on the gas tax is the way to do it. Some Republicans say that's too much and they would like to do something else. We're waiting, though, to hear what those specific ideas might be and sort of how the back and forth goes uh, before they put a budget together later. 
later this spring. We're also going to talk about what's going on in Washington with the Mueller report. We'll talk about the upcoming 2020 campaign for president and the departure of Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen very abruptly yesterday. Uh, if you want to join the conversation on any of those topics, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Matt, I want to talk to you a little about the Mueller report. Uh, what's your sense of the obligation to share more than what uh, Secretary of the Justice Department, um, the Attorney General, uh, William Barr, has shared with us about it. Is this something we ought to be able to look through and determine for ourselves what Robert Mueller and his investigators found? I think so. Yeah, I think that, I think that we do. Um, I think it's funny that you, you always have me on on this, on this opposite Monday, and I always <laughs> and then feel you like agree. we end up agreeing more than we than we argue. Um, but that, I think on when it comes to the president, we're going to be that way. I, I think that you know whether you if you are if, if you are a full throated supporter of the president, and you want to be able to say that this is the vindication that uh, he is claiming, um, and you want to feel confident going forward and, and, and fighting on that hill, then I think you need to know, and we all need to know what's in it, so that we can say, yeah, you're right, this is a vindication, and you're not left second-guessing. And I think the other side has, has the right to see things, too. I mean, I think that there are obviously um, legal things and grand jury things that are, are beyond my understanding, but need to be you know protected and and, and redacted so that that ongoing cases or, or national security isn't isn't jeopardized. But I think that the basic facts of that report and and to the the fullest extent possible should be made public so that so that it can be um, it can be talked about in an honest way. I mean, I think both sides are going to say what they want to say, no matter what whether we see it or whether we don't. I think that for those who are, are just want to get a, a full a full airing of everything, I think it should be made public. So, you know, and I also wonder what the strategy is here from the administration's point of view. I mean, the idea of of not sharing it, of course, leaves those doubts out there and probably gives strength to those who say, well, this is this is a cover up. At the same time, of course, they've seen the report and maybe there's something in there that they think would do them greater harm uh, if it, if it were made public. I think there's probably a lot to that. I think there's a probably, probably a lot in there that's embarrassing, that may not be illegal, um, but certainly isn't something that that anyone wants to to see. You know, I I think I'm not one that that attributes the Trump administration to really any PR brilliance. Um, so I, I don't know that this would be my theory on this, but <laughs> I tend to think that the way they rolled this out, if if you know this, the attorney general is to be believed, and the report is going to be coming out at some point. Um, in the next couple of weeks, letting the abbreviated memo go out and, and set the narrative um, was a pretty good PR move. Um, it allowed people to, to, to kind of stake their ground. And then when the, when the details come out, um, it's going to be harder to move people from that, from where they thought, you know, based on the, the early report. So I think that there was, a, from a PR standpoint, uh, a, a good thing for the administration to do. I think long term, though, um, whether um, for his reelection, or I mean, for Congress as well, and, and members running um, in, in a year and a half uh, in the House and in the Senate, uh, we need to know the facts of what's in that report so that folks can can campaign in an honest way. Again, three one three five seven seven 
1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Cliff in Detroit. Cliff, welcome to Detroit. Hey, um, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I'm just wondering, um, shouldn't the insurance companies, uh, Progressive, whatever, auto insurance companies, because they're so vested in uh, the interest of the roads, shouldn't they participate in paying for the maintenance of the roads? Hmm. That's an interesting question, Cliff. Uh, what what, what uh, mechanism are you imagining you would employ to have them do that? What what would how would you make insurance companies pay? Well, I, I don't know about making them pay, but uh, because they're so uh, they're so intertwined with hmm. our roads, yeah. um, and you know we pay them pretty good money to. <laughs> Uh, insure, you know, insure our cars, and a lot of the damage comes from the roads. I'm just, you know, I'm yeah. just kicking it out there. It's an that, interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know how that would work, but it is, it is one of those, uh, one of those dimensions of the conversation. I think that comes up a lot, which is everybody has their hands kind of in this pot in some way. If we had everybody to kind of chip in a little bit, could we get there a little easier? Matt Resch, what do you think about the role that insurance companies play in all of this? Well, I think if you go down that road, you can make the argument that there are any number of industries that have a, a large stake in the roads. I mean, let's look at the big three. I mean, is there any larger contributor to the roads than the people who make the cars that travel on them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know that that would be one. I think the road building industry. I mean, they they stand to make. Um, literally millions of dollars in company profits based on you know added construction so i think that there is a shared there is a shared um sense in all this but i think at the same time you know big businesses large and small i think could legitimately make the argument that you know if if an insurance company has a fleet of cars that their representatives use they're paying gas taxes they're paying the same higher registration fees that all the rest of us um got hit with a couple of years back that they are paying their share and i think that again this is a legislative solution um that ideally you know whether it's a gas tax or something else is something that can be spread spread across the board so that um everyone can feel a little bit of it you know i i've seen a, a couple people suggest that the catastrophic claims fund is another place that we ought to be looking uh michigan for a long time has had a debate about how big that fund is what the money goes for, and whether some of it even could be repurposed uh, to roads. I, I wonder if this current iteration of the debate about how to fix the roads will get us to reckoning with things like that, which I think are, are big-ticket issues that, uh, that we, in, in the past at least, have not figured out a way to really think about. Well, I can remember when I first moved to Michigan, and I don't remember the exact year, but when there when there was that surplus and that fund, and Governor Engler uh, and the legislature decided to send every driver in Michigan, was it like one hundred and fifty dollars, one hundred and seventy dollars uh, refund, um, and everyone got a check in the mail. <laughs> and I had just moved to Michigan and uh, was a, a you know poor recent college student. I thought, well, this is pretty cool getting a check in the mail all the time, and it was the last time that's ever happened. But if we're getting to the if we're getting to a point where the funds are getting that high, you know, that's all stuff that should be on the table, especially since the legislature top priority is auto no-fault reform. Hmm. And I think it is their intent that they want to combine a lot of the problems with auto no-fault and our super high insurance rates with um, this road conversation. Yeah, uh, Let's go back to the phones here really quick. Uh, Diane in Canton, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Sure. I can't believe I called. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, after all this time. 
So um, my idea is to be considered um, that not everyone is driving a gasoline-powered vehicle. Mm-hmm. So if they focus completely on gas, it's not covering everybody. And the other idea is what about toll roads? Yeah. No, uh, Diane, those are great points, both of them. Uh, the toll road issue, I know, has has been kicked around for a while in in Michigan. There's there's some real hurdles to that, especially when it comes to federally owned uh, roads. But but Matt Resch, talk about this idea that gasoline taxes don't necessarily catch everyone anymore. I mean, a lot of people are plugging their cars in instead of filling them up. Well, and that's a, that's a, the exact point that Senator Shirky makes uh, frequently that the gas tax is not uh, the gas tax increase is not a long term solution that it is it's a, dis, a, dim, a diminishing uh, return almost the second it's passed because fewer and fewer cars every day are f- powered by gas and you know we have the big three here in Michigan who are dedicating you know millions and millions in research into electric vehicles and sustainable vehicles that are going to use less and less gasoline so. Uh, the caller is absolutely right, and Senator Shirky has said as well that if we're going to look for a tax structure, um, why are we basing it on potentially an antiquated or a, you know a tax structure that's that's going out of out of style with going into more electric vehicles? And he's urged, I think, for a more holistic approach to it. And you know the, the governor has said that it's it's really the, the the simplest and cleanest way to do it right now. Um, and I guess by clean, I don't mean environmentally clean. I just mean legislatively clean. Um, and so that's why, and it's the most immediate way to get uh, funds into the roads. Um, but again, the, the, the caller makes an excellent point. And I, it's funny that she brings up the toll roads and you bring it up because I had a chance to see the governor give a speech on, on her road plan about a week and a half ago. And before anyone could even ask a question about the uh, toll roads, she said, before anyone says anything, let me just answer the question about toll roads because she gets it every single place she goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just not it's not something that's really feasible here for a number of right. reasons, but but a lot of them have to do with federal policy is my understanding. Right, right. Um, okay. But, but before we break, Matt, our next two segments are going to be about the effectiveness of Congress and whether it's performing its constitutional role. And I I, I thought you'd be somebody who would be interesting to hear what your perspective is on it. I mean, uh, this is not so much a question of whether Congress is effective uh, at what it's doing, but whether it's even doing some of the right things. Well, you know, I'll, I'll answer that by, by sharing a story. I, I talked recently with a, with a colleague of mine who, who does similar work that I do. He has a, he has a firm uh, in Washington, D.C., and we, we hadn't talked in, in a couple of years, and we were sharing a house, house business. And he shared with me that he has, at this point, laid off his entire firm, with the exception of himself. He hasn't gotten a client in more than a year. And I, I said, why? You were running a great firm and had a great operation. And he shared, no one thinks anything can get done here. So no one's even trying. Wow. Wow. And, and you know, it's, you know, no one's going to feel bad for PR guys in D.C. But it, it, was a, it, it showed to me that the, the folks who engage in these issues, who advocate uh, for policy, have decided to just sit things out for a while until things until I don't know what they're waiting for, uh, a new president or a new makeup of Congress. But they were... Um, they were not looking to spend the money they had on trying to impact policy because they just didn't think things were going to get done. Mm. 
Wow. Well, that, that's a great story, and it's a, <laughs> a great setup for our next uh, conversations. Matt Resch, president and owner of Resch Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing. It's always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Up next, we are going to keep talking about whether Congress is doing its job, and we'll be joined by U of M law professor Richard Primus, a constitutional expert. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out entirely on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.